So finally, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Our church in this season of the year has been following a long Christian tradition in spending four weeks prior to Christmas Day to prepare ourselves to celebrate Christ's first coming and to anticipate his second coming. This period is called Advent, an old Latin word meaning coming. Christ came and will come again. So today, we have officially entered the Advent season. But not so traditionally, we are not following the usual themes of joy, love, peace, and hope. Rather, we will be looking one more time through the lens of Christ's first and second coming at our church core values of outreach, prayer, unity, discipleship, and empowering future generations. And if you're counting, that's five core values. So it will take us beyond Christmas and to the, to the year-end Sunday service as well. As I said earlier, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Well, at least that's what the song was telling me. But is it? How can a particular time in a year make us happy? Is it because of a biological or psychological clock inside us? If December is the most wonderful time of the year, then no wonder January is the most depressing month. But to some people whose lives are so broken, there probably isn't a time in a year that can be called wonderful. As we are entering this Christmas season, millions of people around the world are suffering from all sorts of traumas and brokenness. I was in Mexico a couple of weeks ago with three other members of our church, including um, Helena. Uh, where are you? Helena there? Yeah. Okay. Um, we were exploring future mission opportunities there in Mexico. God has opened many doors for us to serve. And God has also opened our eyes to see brokenness and poverty up close with our own eyes. As we were there, it was just also the time when thousands of caravan migrants arrived at Mexico City. You heard the news, right? You, you heard the news. We were able to go to visit the stadium that was used as a temporary shelter for the migrants. We, we got there, uh, when we got there, the first group of 7,000 just left and began to march north to the U.S., of course, uh, the previous day. But as we left the stadium, we saw, whoops, can you give me the next slide? Yes, we saw a couple of 40-feet trucks arriving, unloading hundreds of migrants to the stadium. This is one picture. This is another picture. Um, most of the migrants were children and women. So they looked like without fathers and without husbands. Their faces were full of dust, and they had very few belongings. Uh, the most common belonging would be a blanket. Look at this little girl here. Okay. 
They left their homes, their communities, because it's too dangerous to stay there. The gangs were uh, are more powerful than the government in Honduras. Their families are broken, their lives are miserable, their future is uncertain. There are more people than we want to admit who are living in misery every day in the year. Well, why am I saying that? It's because today I'm going to talk about one of our five core values, and it is, it is unity. However, because it is also Advent, and it is the theme of the incarnation of the Son of God, I'm not going to talk about unity in terms of just a few congregations, or a few ministry teams, or even a few churches. I will talk about unity in its broadest sense. Unity is a relational word. In fact, Many words in the Old Testament vocabulary are relational in nature. For example, the word righteousness is always understood in the Old Testament as right relationship. This focus is not on one's behavior, but, but one's behavior in relation to God. In the Old Testament world, people do not really use the word unity. In fact, they use the word shalom. Shalom means wholeness. It's a perfect completeness in all relationships. Achieving shalom means achieving unity in its broadest, deepest, and most complete sense. When Jesus was about to be born, Luke recorded that suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel to the shepherds, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to man on whom his favor rests. The key blessing to man here is peace, which is the equivalent to the Hebrew word shalom. Christ came to bring shalom to man, to bring wholeness and the most perfect unity to mankind. We are now in a period that Christ has already accomplished all the work required for shalom to be upon all people on earth, and we are now living also in eager anticipation for this shalom to become a reality or the reality. Though the world is still broken, Advent shows us that there is hope. As children of God, we are called to bring this hope of shalom to the broken world. So now, let's read the passage to see how the world has become broken and how poverty has entered the world as we know it. It's a very familiar passage in Genesis 3 where it talks about what is known to us as the fall of humanity. It's a long passage. So I'll ask Josanna to read to you a few selected verses. Josanna, please. Today's scripture reading is from Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 to 13 and 16 through 19. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He, he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, 
What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Thank you, Josanna. Uh, after reading this passage, let us all pray together. Heavenly Father, this is a painful passage to read. It serves as a reminder of how we got to where we are right now. But it also reminds us of how much we need a Savior to come to redeem us from sin. So we ask that you will open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts so that your word will resonate in us and also we will all the more appreciate what Jesus has achieved for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been to Mexico three times this year. One time in September, which was a very short stay, but the other two times, one in February and one just a couple of weeks ago, I was able to see the harshness of life that many local Mexicans were facing. In February, I went with Compassion Canada, as many of you also remember, um, to visit primarily the poor in the rural. This time, a couple of weeks ago, we stayed mainly in the city, Mexico City. Uh, so it was more urban profit, poverty that we saw, we saw most. Having, having been there a few times, I came to realize something that I should have known in the first place. I'm sure if you have been to countries in this category, like poor countries, uh, like Philippines that Melanie has been to or is going to again, uh, or Guatemala that Henry and some of you have already been to, uh, I think and I believe you would agree with me that poverty is not just a lack of material abundance. We cannot solve or even reduce poverty by just donating money or giving them stuffs. In the beginning of this millennium, the World Bank consulted with the true poverty experts, which are the poor themselves, by asking them, by asking more than 60,000 poor people in different poor countries, the very basic question, what is poverty? Here are some samples of the responses. For a poor person, everything is terrible. Illness, humiliation, shame. We are afraid of everything. We depend on everyone, but no one needs us. We are like garbage. This is someone from Moldova. When I don't have any food for my family, I borrow from neighbors and friends. I feel ashamed standing before my children when I have nothing to help feed my family. Someone from Guinea-Bissau. You may not even know where it is. And then, during the past two years, we have not celebrated uh, any holidays with others. The lack of contact leaves one depressed, creates a constant feeling of unhappiness and a sense of low self-esteem. 
someone from the former Soviet state, Latvia. The poor have a feeling of powerlessness and an inability to make themselves heard. They don't matter. Someone from Cameroon. You may have noticed that while poor people mention having lack of material things, they tend to describe their condition in far more psychological and social terms. Poor people typically talk in terms of shame, inferiority, powerlessness, humiliation, fear, depression, hopelessness, social isolation, relational brokenness, and even their lives being meaningless and purposeless. So poverty is far more than just material insufficiency. Poverty is brokenness in multi-dimensions. It can be social, it can be emotional, it can be material, and it can also be spiritual. You and I might not worry about our daily bread, but it doesn't mean that we are not poor in other aspects. With money in our bank account, it does not mean that we are whole in all aspects of life. But blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came to ensure the perfect shalom is once again accessible to us. He came to make whole of this broken world. Jesus, the Lord of Christmas, is the antidote for reversing the curse that fell upon all creations when sin first took place in the Garden of Eden. To understand how Jesus heals this broken world, let's see how the world became broken and how Shalom got disintegrated in the first place. First, the created world was very good as God declared it. If we go back to the beginning of the book of Genesis and the story of creation, we see that people were created in the image of God. When we read the first couple of chapters of Genesis, we see the initial relationship of Adam and Eve who felt no shame at their nakedness and who were intimately connected as bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. We see how Adam and Eve were given good work tending the Garden of Eden. We see how they had plenty to eat and they were enjoying the fruits of their good work. We read about how they would walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. The world then was good and orderly. Everything in the, in the universe, uh, in, in the creation order, was in unity with one another and in unity with God the Creator. As you can see from the grand opening of the book of Genesis, the original shalom vision was a cosmic vision of wholeness, harmony, unity, justice and love between God and humans and between man and woman within each human being and between humans and the rest of the created world. All was good. It was a girl, a world that disunity, brokenness and poverty did not and could not exist. And then, and then people did the one thing, yes, one thing, that God had told them explicitly not to do. And what happened after had a massive ripple effect. All the shalom, original shalom vision, we know it as, it was a cosmic vision of wholeness and unity. And then the scope of the fall was also cosmic, disrupting the relationships 
and unity between God and humanity and the entire created order. It did not just damage the relationship between humans and God. It also broke all relationships which had characterized the way God had designed how we as human beings are to live. We are designed for relationships. Our triune God himself was inherently a relational being, existing in three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity. Being made in God's image, human beings are also inherently relational. That's why when we were talking about, uh, when, when, when talking about um, humans be bearing God's image, the Bible presents such image in relational terms. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The word man here is actually non-gender specific. It's the Hebrew word Adam, which is Adam, simply means human. So it's basically God created human in, in his own image. But then, when further describing such image, the Bible says that both genders, male, female, together, in relational terms, are created in God's image. So the original shalom was unity in its broadest sense. In Genesis, the, this broad unity consists mainly in four fundamental relationships. With God, with ourselves, with other humans, and with the rest of the created world. These relationships are the building blocks of all of life. When all these relationships are healthy and functioning, we are able to enjoy life as good intended it to be, free from brokenness, free from poverty, and free from disunity and injustice. But then, when the fall happened, everything changed. All these relationships are broken. Unity became disunity. Paradise lost. Shalom fell apart. Adam and Eve's intimacy with God was replaced by fear. When God was looking for Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, Adam replied, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. For the first time in creation history, human was afraid of God. Also, within themselves, they now felt shame. They have been naked all their lives. And they had never ever felt shame until they had eaten the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. Now, seeing their true self, it is shame that they felt. The shalom within a man himself was gone. Then, the intimacy between Adam and Eve was then blocked by blame. Adam said to God when asked why he ate the forbidden fruit, It's her fault. The man said, The woman... You put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Adam did not just blame Eve. He blamed God too. As if he is more righteous than God himself. You gave me that woman. Also the future relationships between Adam and Eve are categorized as your desire will be for your husband and you. He will rule over you. Healthy intimacy has been turned into craving for and suppressing against others. And finally, 
Adam and Eve's relationship with the rest of the creation became distorted. Their once fulfilling and rewarding work in the garden was now painful toil. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. All four fundamental relationships that characterize shalom or perfect unity were broken. The whole system became dysfunctional. The once intimate relationships have become broken. The once abundant life has become poor. All because man chose to disobey God and sin against him. Today, many generations after Adam and Eve, all of us still experience these same broken broken relationships. We no longer trust solely in God. So we believe we must serve ourselves, leading to greed, self-centeredness, and injustice. In our broken relationship with others, our shame and guilt lead us to destructive behavior to find belonging and acceptance. Our relationship with other human beings are plagued by sin that leads to betrayal, manipulation, abandonment, abuse, and all sorts of crimes. Finally, disease, famine, natural disasters, a constant reminder that our relationship with creation is broken. We no longer live in a safe and hospitable environment like the Garden of Eden. Brokenness leads to poverty. Under all these brokenness, poverty has become a common factor in all four fundamental relationships that form the building blocks of our life. Broken relationship with God has given rise to spiritual poverty. We seldom are satisfied in God alone. We constantly crave for something other than God himself. We have become more interested in God's blessing than the God who blessed. Broken relationship with oneself often gives rise to our own emotional poverty. We can easily cast doubt on ourselves just because so-and-so made a comment. Or we, we might think less of ourselves just because we don't appear to be smarter or prettier or slimmer or richer than others. Depression, anxiety or self-hurt all remind us that we are far off from shalom. Broken relationship with one another has given rise to our relational poverty. Our relationships with one another are fragile and vulnerable. You only need to take a few clicks to unfriend someone or block someone's WhatsApp. Relationships can turn sour just because of a Facebook comment or an unreplied message. Technology has improved the quantity of our communication, but yet our quality of communication seems to have gone to another direction. Divorce, loneliness, social tension, even church splits are our new normal now. Lastly, broken relationship with the rest of creation has given rise to material poverty. I've been to rural parts of Mexico. One thing you cannot miss is how lives are affected by earthquakes. Many of their houses don't have a roof. Just some paper or, 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 or tin sheets to cover it. First, it's because they're so poor that they, that they cannot afford to have a roof built. Second, they're afraid that with a roof, they will get smashed when earthquake hits. 
So if you have a nice and solid roof in your house, you are already considered material abundance. But you know, none of these problems would have existed if people had chosen to stay in that unbroken relationship with God. All other relationships have become broken because the one key relationship between God and mankind was broken because of sin, sin and disobedience. The root cause for all disunity and for shalom to fall apart is sin. All other brokenness are symptoms only. To restore shalom, sin and its consequence must be dealt with. And because these four relationships are the building blocks of all human activity, the ripples of the fall can be seen in all of our system. From economics, from politics, from culture, uh, education, and even churches. So what does this leave us? In such a broken world, can we still find joy in this most wonderful time of the year? If this time is the most wonderful time of the year, it's only because this particular time of the year reminds us of what wonder, what wonder that God has done in order for us to have hope again to return to Shalom. The fall took place in Genesis 3. We thank God this is not, that this is not the end of the Bible. It's because the rest of the Bible, and that's 1,186 chapters of this book has given us God's plan in providing us with a remedy that shalom can be restored again to an extent that even exceeds the shalom in the Garden of Eden. Jesus was able to achieve the desired results where Adam and Eve failed. We are all doomed to die because when they sinned, we lost access to the tree of life. We are therefore subject to death because of sin that we're no longer having access to the antidote of death. But on the other hand, Christ in Christ only has succeeded and actually provided the remedy to sin and, and death for all mankind in every generation. Using Genesis 3 as a background, let's read a couple of New Testament passages to see what Jesus has accomplished in his mission to the world. First, Let's look at Colossians first, uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 15 to 20, in which Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God, Christ is, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace, shalom, through his blood shed on the cross. In this passage, Christ is described as the creator, the sustainer, and most prominently in this passage, the reconciler of all things. Not just between humans and God, but all things. Sure, Jesus died for our souls, but he also died to reconcile. That is to put into right relationships all that he created. Just as the actions of Adam and Eve brought sin, decay, 
brokenness, disunity, and death to everything in the universe. So the actions of one man, Jesus, has resulted in life for all things. The incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus collectively give the antidote for the curse and brokenness that we saw since Genesis 3. I call it antidote because antidote is also known as reversal agent. The word blessing in Genesis, such as the one in Genesis 12, where it says that all peoples on earth will be blessed through Abraham, the word blessing was understood by the original readers as reversing the curse in Genesis 3. The passage here in Colossians is very rich in its theological implications. First, if after the fall, mankind has experienced all aspects of poverty in life, including material, emotional, relational, and spiritual poverty, the coming of Christ has given rise to fullness instead. If in, oops, sorry. If in poverty, hopelessness is a characteristic, then in Christ, the curse has been reversed into fullness of hope. This hope is so full and so sure because it was God who chose to save us. The passage says that Jesus' coming was a gracious action of God himself. He did not need to do it, but he chose to do it. Because God chose to save instead of to condemn, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. We can know that the hope for shalom to be restored is made available. The hope is here. And if in poverty, helplessness is another characteristic, then in Christ, the curse has been reversed into fullness in confidence. God chose to save us. And he did not just give us a self-help manual. God gave us his son Jesus to accomplish what Adam and Eve, in this manner, all of us as well, failed to accomplish. Adam and Eve failed to achieve life by disobeying God's command. Jesus, as the full image of the invisible God, attained for all of us in eternal life by obeying God, even in becoming a vulnerable baby and subsequently laying down his life on the cross. In him, we are no longer helpless. And finally, in poverty, if in poverty, lack of meaning or purpose is a characteristic, then in Christ, the curse has been reversed into fullness in life purpose. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. In poverty, people feel that they are not needed. But in Christ, the lost world needs us as Christ's representatives. As God has saved us through the reconciling work of Christ, we are given an honorable calling to be God's ministers of reconciliation. God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
So whether you are aware of it or not, we are all carrying the message of reconciliation, the message of restoration of shalom as we live through every day. And to close, I'm going to bring to you a Christmas project that we at VCBC, I think, can participate in, in blessing and extending shalom to others. When we were in Mexico, we visited a church in a neighborhood called Shimawakan. Uh, this is uh, the church there. It's a very poor and crime-filled neighborhood. Helena and I saw a, a, uh, a white tent. It's like one of those we, we, we put up uh, during VBS, a white tent. So we thought, oh, that's a party. So we asked the pastor there. This is the pastor, by the way. This, 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 guy. this is the pastor, Pastor Santiago. And then he said, no, 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 this is a crime scene. Someone got murdered there a couple of days ago. And we went there with Hyron, and he is a CSI guy, right? He says, Hyron, that's your job. Um, um, so, this called area called Shimawakan is it, it, a, a poor and crime-filled neighborhood. So, in order to transform this neighborhood, Pastor Santiago has started this church over 10 years ago, focusing on bringing Christ and gospel to families through providing children's services. Uh, you can see there's a lot of children there, but this is only a portion. This church serves 160, over 160 children with a space which is much smaller than our basement. So this is the church that they have. Um, his church is also supported by Compassion International. So these children here are all fortunate enough to be sponsored. This is the way to change the community in, in, in Mexico or in a country in a similar situation. You bring the gospel to the next generation. Hopefully when they grow up, they can change the society. Now this church has a burden to go to another similar neighborhood uh, called La Paz. This is Chimahuacan here. This is Mexico City. So we travel to Chimahuacan, not too far, about 40 minutes of, of travel. And from here to La Paz, that's another 20 minutes. Um, the pastor there, Pastor Santiago, had a burden, and the church actually has a burden to go to this similar neighborhood, and, and there's currently no church in that neighborhood. No children's center, no church. They bought two lots with the help of Go International, a mission organization that we also support, and they have a vision to build a church and child center to serve the hundreds or thousands of kids there. Um, if kids don't, there don't get proper education or don't get exposed to the gospel, the chance for them to end up being part of a gang or part of a cartel is very high. Compassion International will support the church, but they do not support the building of a church. So if the church there is not built, Compassion won't be able to help them. There is the, this is the lot that they have purchased. You can see now, this is, it is still very rough. We, we try to, I mean, this is, this is it's like this right now. This is the foundation. They are trying to complete the foundation of this church building. They are about maybe less than two-thirds done with the uh, uh, construction of the foundation. Um, I mean, we try to lift. This is me. This is not. This is Pastor Low. Uh, we're trying to lift the rock because that's what they do. The church members 
would lift the rock and then and then put in the in the in the foundation and this is how they do it. Um, a lot of men in in Mexico are involved in construction business, so they they seem to know what they're doing. But we don't. Well, at least we have one member who's strong enough to move a stone, and that's Brian Lee. Not not this Brian Lee, but Brian Lee from the Mandarin congregation. He was able to to lift it a little bit. Um, so the foundation, as I said, is only little more than half completed. Now they're stuck because they do not have money to buy the necessary materials such as cement, rock, and water. They, they, they don't even have water because it's, it's up in the hill, so they need to uh, hire water trucks to send water up there. So everything will be much easier once com- uh, foundation is completed. Once foundation is completed, it will take them much shorter time to build the first floor once they have the first floor built, they can have kids, uh, they can serve kids there, and they can continue to build upward. So, we learned that from Go International, that it will only cost them, I mean, how much it costs us to build a foundation in Vancouver? Probably, I don't know, half a million or quarter million dollars. But this one, hey, 7,000 Canadian. Would, that would be all, to, to buy all the necess- necessary materials. So, I think, and I hope, that we can do it for them as a Christmas gift. We, uh, this year, we will not do the shoebox campaign. Um, but this project will, in a way, replace the shoebox project. The reason we chose to do this one instead of the shoebox is that there is a very likely possibility for us to build long-term relationship with this church. We, we, we will have a team to go to uh, Mexico again next year, so we will see how the foundation is completed. Uh, and there's a good chance that we can help teach Bible in English in this community through this church. Imagine in a few years' time, we can serve a church there in which we help, we help build. That would be so meaningful. So, so here I urge you, I beg you to support this project. There are pledge cards already made uh, here. Each of them represents a $20 donation. Somehow they made a, water bot- a bottle of water instead of a water truck. Okay? Uh, but this is for water. This is for bricks. This is for sand. Okay? So $20 for each pledge card. You can take more than one. Okay? But please, if you take three, please give $60 or more. Okay? Um, um, you, we, we will, um, you, you can, all donations are made to VCBC and will become part of your annual offering. Okay, um, if you give check, just make it make, make it payable to VCBC. We will collect the money and we'll donate it through G, uh, Go International, who will administer the disbursement of the funds. Um, once you, if you take these pledge cards, I would ask that you will write some blessing uh, sentence or Bible verse there. Uh, you can write it in English. You can write it in Chinese. You can write it in Spanish. Okay. Well, they, they only read Spanish, so, I mean, you can write Chinese too, they love it, okay, but, but you can Google translate it, okay? So, so, so it will be available at the foyer afterwards, um, and uh, we, we, if you don't have money today, if you don't have a check or something, bring it back next year. Put it in an envelope, uh, the donation envelope, and, and then we can collect next year. And, and, and give all these back to us. Uh, we will send these pledge cards with the donation to this church, and they can know how they are loved and supported by VCBC. So, 
I, I please support. Okay, so please do that, and we can extend the promise of shalom uh, that we have been blessed with. So after the service today, uh, go to the foyer, and, and there will be a table. You can make donation right away. Uh, there will be a box to collect, or you can just take it home to finish it and bring it back next week. So thank you, please. So after this message, hopefully we all will become representative and ambassadors uh, for Christ Shalom. And in this festive season of Christmas, um, just go and proclaim that Jesus is our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God of Shalom, we give thanks and praises to you because you chose to save us with mercy instead of condemning us with curse. In this season of Advent, we pray that we will experience the joy and peace, even though there might be still brokenness that we might see or experience. We pray that you will bless us in VCBC so that we will continue to be your agents of reconciliation to the world. We pray for the church in Shimawakan as they are building this new site in La Paz. May your abundant grace and providence be upon them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.